the Lord's power overcame me. And while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw that there was a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you, and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying and then a great quaking. And the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared and then they were covered with, over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds, breath. Breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinary large company. He said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I am opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves, and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you, and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land, and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken, and I will do it. This is what the Lord said. May God's word shape us and form us. Amen. God, thank you that you are the God of life, and... Uh, you are the God of creation, and that in whatever season we find ourselves, in whatever place, circumstance we find ourselves, or how energized or not energized our hearts are, how well or not well our souls are, uh, we know that our source is you. Uh, you have living water for us, and, and you have the breath of life for us, and you breathe into us, giving us new life. Pray that your word would uh, rest upon us and give us life. Give us, uh, yeah, give us the truth um, um, and plant the seed uh, for new life to spring up in each of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. Well, uh, speaking of new life, and if you got a chance to reflect on uh, these reflection questions. Uh, one of the questions is, what gifts, talents, or aspirations would you like God to breathe new life into? 
Um, and a few, few weeks ago, uh, when we were uh, talking in Genesis and going through the Joseph passages, uh, one of the sermons was entitled, The Death of Dreams. And we asked similar questions. What, what are dreams that you had? What are aspirations that you had in your childhood that you would like God, uh, or that you lost, that are gone now? When I think about this question, it always comes back to uh, how, in my head, that all of my dreams and aspirations for various sports did not pan out, right? And so now, as a father with a young eight-year-old son who's semi-athletic and I like to think, oh, it takes after, he takes after me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to live vicariously through Isaiah. So, you know, we put him through soccer. He's in soccer. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we signed him up for track and field. So he's running in track and field. Uh, last spring, he played baseball. Or last summer, he played baseball. So we're trying all of these different things. And I find myself living vicariously through him because, yes, I'm one of those parents. I'm one of those parents, even though the coaches say, you know, don't meddle. Just let us coach them. Don't, don't go, get in there and coach them. I'm like... Who are you to take away my parenting right, right? I'm just parenting my kids. So I'm in there, Isaiah, run the first, right? Hustle, hustle, pay attention, Isaiah. And I know I'm one of those obnoxious parents. Um, but when he was playing baseball, I always wanted to play baseball. I never got the chance to play organized baseball as a kid. So I'm like, oh, all right, Isaiah gets to play organized baseball. And I got him all the stuff, the helmet. I got him a glove. I got him some bats. Um, and all of that stuff, all the equipment, and, um, and I started watching YouTube videos, right? Now we have YouTube, so we started watching YouTube videos, and I came across um, a set of YouTube videos about batting and young children and teaching them how to bat. And it's very counterintuitive, actually, because what, what, the, what the coach says in those videos is don't... Don't try to teach them, you know, all of the fundamentals, how to stand, how to swing level, how to focus on your wrist and all these, all of these things because it'll stress them out. It'll overwhelm them thinking about all of these details. The result of that may be when they're up at the plate and a pitch comes, they're thinking about all these things and they're so afraid of not doing it right that what? They never swing. They never swing. And so the guy in the video is just, he just tells his kids, swing away, swing away. Just what, and what he affirms and encourages is a good swing, right? Just swing as hard as you can, swing as well as you can, and just swing. And I like that because I think it's a, a life lesson. Sometimes we think about so much about what could go wrong or what needs to go right or what we're not doing right that we forget but we never take, get a chance to swing away. I just swing, learn the mechanics of swinging and have the confidence to swing. And I think for many of us, um, life has happened, right? We've struggled, we've had failures, right? We've tried and gotten knocked down. And maybe we've become more and more afraid to swing away, right? Maybe you thought, oh, I have a pretty good voice. I want to be a singer. 
and maybe you know no one affirmed that growing growing up or whatever and so you just stop singing right and the only time you sing is maybe in the shower and even your spouse if you're married shut you down in in the shower right don't stop singing and so that dream that seed that aspiration of singing in your heart is dead it's been stomped down right and so you don't sing anymore and you know that's that's a light example but there are other places in our lives where that's true where what once was a place of life what once was a place of hope what once was a place of possibility for us has now become impossibility has now become a place of death has now become despair has become a room full of cobwebs right collecting dust that we never enter anymore we all have those places right and so that was an exercise uh, for that for our passage Ezekiel 37 1 through 14 it's part of the lectionary text uh, for Lent and we're in the fifth Sunday of Lent but the context out of which Ezekiel is writing or prophesying is Ezekiel is a Hebrew prophet in the sixth century um, at this time he's prophesying during the Babylonian captivity so uh, uh, many of the people of Israel have been forced to migrate uh, from Jerusalem, from Israel, into Babylon, and whole peoples. And Ezekiel is actually in Babylon prophesying. So they're living in um, the capital of their captors. Um, and he prophesies about, one, the, destruct, the final destruction of Israel and the temple in Jerusalem, um, two, also the restoration, right? When the people, God will bring the people back out uh, to, be, to be returned to the land of Israel. And then thirdly, Ezekiel prophesies uh, and gives visions around the rise of the third temple, right? They call it Ezekiel's temple, oftentimes the third temple. Um, so this, this picture of hope, this picture of vision, this picture of restoration. Um, in our passage, uh, what I see structurally is that there's three stages of renewal, and they're marked by God coming to him and saying, prophesy to the people, prophesy to the people, prophesy to the people, three times. And the people, are they like little kids? Are they like seven, eight-year-olds running around not listening? Because why do you have to say the same thing three times because essentially that's what happens. God says, prophesy this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring them to life. He does it, right? They become enfleshed. He says it again, prophesy, right? And uh, it happens again. Breath, the breath, God's breath is filled into them. And again, they begin to complain. Our hope is lost. We're dead. Our bones are dried up. Once again, prophesy, O human. We begin to think, why three times? Right? Even in the midst of stuff happening, new life happening, the breath of the Spirit giving, animating them, right? there's still the sense of despair. There's still the need for those words of truth to come again. Right? So just to, line those, just to delineate those three stages, as I see it, uh, stage one, prophesy human, and as he says the bones come together, flesh appears, but there's still no breath, right? Even though God said prophesy, I'll breathe new life into you, 
and you'll, you'll be enfleshed. Uh, the, the enfleshment happens, um, but still there's no breath. And then the second time, uh, there's no breath, there's just body, like flesh on, come on the bones, but there's no animation, right? Perhaps it's like in Genesis 1, right? There's clay, but there's no life. And so prophesy to the breath, prophesy human one, say to the breath, the Lord proclaims, come from the four winds, breath, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. And so he prophesied just as he was commanded and the breath entered them, verse 10, and they came to life and stood on their feet an extraordinarily large company. They came to their feet. They rose up. And for some reason, my mind, when I was reading this, imagined uh, maybe The Mummy or some, one of those movies where, or maybe Lord of the Rings, where skeletons rise up as an army, and you're like, ah, we have an army. So new stuff coming out of dead things. And then the third stage is... Um, the actual and re the bones and the the large company have come up and they're alive, uh, but they say our bones are dried up, our hope is perished, we are completely finished. Right? Like there's still need. There's still a sickness. There's still a doubt. There's still some disbelief. There's still a connection to. Uh, despair, a connection to that sense of we are completely finished, we're dead, we've perished, even though these things have happened. Um, so once again in 12, prophesy and say to them, the Lord proclaims, I'm opening your graves. I will re raise you up from your graves, my people, and I'll bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land and you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. That is what the Lord says. Repetition. Repetition. I will do it. I will do it. I will breathe new life into you. I will restore you. I will bring you to fertile land. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. As I was thinking about these three stages, perhaps, you know, we can get tricky and say these three stages, you know, are parallel to Jesus' Jesus' death, right? Three three days in the tomb and then resurrection. Right? So there's three there's threeness. Um, but the thing what in my opinion, what I kind of lean towards is um, was trying to say that um, it, I think it points to how deep healing needs to go, how deep our woundedness can be, or the pe people's woundedness around us, our neighbors, how deep the pain of injustice can go, how deep the pain of unreconciled relationships can go, how deep the pain of broken relationships can go, and how deep the stench of death actually permeates our lives. 
and can permeate our souls. We need repetition of truth in our lives. We need God's words over and over and over. For instance, like me, I need my wife to tell me I'm beautiful many, many times, right? I'm like, no, I'm ugly. I look into the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, and it just cracks, right? And she's like, I told you yesterday, you're beautiful, David. No, I'm not, right? Yes, you are. Look at my nose. Yes, you're beautiful, right? And you need to hear it over and over again until your wife just realizes you're a, a bottomless pit. You're an abyss of neediness, right? Only God can speak words of life and renewal into you because you're just dead in there. Nothing I say is helping, so I'm just going to stop saying it. I'm like, say it, God, say it. Say it, Candace. Our brokenness runs deep. And if you take it out of the personal realm and think about communities and neighborhoods or cities, countries, nations, the world, right? The brokenness of the world runs deep. The brokenness in the homes of our neighbors run deep. So deep. And, no, and sometimes it feels hopeless, right? No amount of words, no amount of... Uh, anything can heal that or bring that. And sometimes we look at our country and see what's going on or the world and see kind of the tragedy and wars and terrorism and we and children uh, suffering. And we're like, God cannot do anything. Nothing can happen in this situation. It's too broken. Right? And um, the wounds are deep. But we can be restored. That's the message. That's the gospel. That's what we hear in this passage. And that's what we'll hear, right, in the gospel message during Easter. And that's what the power of the resurrection is all about is God can restore things. He has the power over death. We can be restored. And yet we need the spirit to come and lift our fears, our doubts, and to heal our deep wounds. We need God to come and whisper in our ear over and over and over again, I love you, I love you, you're beautiful, you're good, right? You were made for good. You were made for good. And I can bring those things that you've lost hope in, I can bring those things that you've let, let go of, because I made you and I didn't make any mistakes. I created you. And they weren't mistakes. Maybe circumstances in your life, maybe people have put you down. Maybe you've been shut down. But there was a reason I made you. There's a reason I gave you those things. And I want to breathe new life into you. Do you remember what got you excited? Do you remember what gave you life? Do you remember when you hoped to? And when you saw the world as possibility, or if you're in Seattle now, do you remember the sun? I forgot what it looked like. The sun is shining. What's going on? I've forgotten. Another thing I wanted to point out about this passage is that the verbs are God's, right? I will lay sinews on you. I will cause flesh to come upon you. 
I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. You shall know that I am the Lord. I will do these things. And the reason I am doing these things or the result of me doing these things, me being the actor and the initiator, is you shall know that I am the Lord. Glory is to God. I'm going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you up from your graves. I will put my spirit within you. I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know what? That the Lord has spoken and will act. And again, here's, a, here's kind of an echo of the Genesis, the creation narrative. The Lord speaks and creates at the same time. When he says it, action, right? Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I will act. I will do these things so you'll know that I, the Lord, am the Lord of creation. That I, the Lord, can create. I can also recreate when things are broken. I can do it again. And I will do it. I will do it. So some takeaways. I think this is on the next slide. um, Or observations. Resurrection is not newly minted life. Right? What we're talking about here is not uh, just brand new. Right? Actually, resurrection and restoration and renewal, uh, it's about restored and renewed life. It's a life that follows, it's new life that follows after suffering and death. That's resurrection, right? Something has to die to be resurrected. Something has to be destroyed to be restored. Something has to be um, made uh, obsolete in order to be renewed. Um, And that's the thing about resurrection is that it's a life that follows suffering and death. And Jesus in his resurrection still, in his resurrected life, still had scars from his crucifixion, right? And that leads into my second Second observation or takeaway. Uh, we're not, and Ezekiel is not talking about new bodies, but old dead bones. It's old dead bones that are restored. It's not, ah, oh, I'm done with this junk. Let's throw it out. Take it to Value Village Salvation Army. Let's start fresh. Sometimes I feel that. When there's so much clutter in my home and so much mess, I'm like, just get rid of it. Like I, st- I start throwing the baby and the bathwater. I start throwing the kids out, right? Just everything, just throw it out. I just want to clean, right? I just want to work, my workspace. Let's throw out papers left and right. Janice is like, did you throw that away? Did you, I needed that. I'm like, if it doesn't have a place, it's gone, right? You better put it in a place. Just want to start over, clean sweep. But that is not what this is about. This is about old bones, dead bones, and bringing them back. Don't call it a comeback. God is in the business of salvaging and recreating. God is a hoarder. (laughs) God is a hoarder, right? He takes, he's an antique junk finder. He's a garage seller, right? He goes and finds old things and makes them new again, makes them shiny again, makes them useful again. And that's the beauty of the kingdom. Right? God created you for beauty and good. God created people for beauty and good. 
It's in there. It's salvageable. There's hope, right? You are salvageable, right? That's amazing. That's good. Um, Thirdly, we need God for life. We need God to have life. Dry bones can do nothing to bring themselves back, right? God is the actor. The verbs belong to God, right? The dry bones in of themselves cannot do anything to bring themselves back. And that's where we go to that kind of refrain of, I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord, so that you'll know that I have done this. The Lord has done this. And we need to know that, that um, new life, healing, transformation, that that is in the realm, that's God's business, right? God is in the business of bringing power uh, into people's lives and restoring things. And we need to lean into that, into the spirit, breathing life into us. Um, Well, spring is here. And we're going into uh, the fourth point is that Seattle winters are hard. This is like a special 206 application, like special Seattle application. When I was in campus ministry, uh, every, every winter, right, that, that's what the, it would be the hardest for students. You know, people would want to quit. People would feel overwhelmed. Like, I don't know if there's a God. I don't know about my faith, right? I, you know, all of these things, family problems. And on the one hand, you kind of take a step back and you, you remind them, God is good. God is good. God is good. The bigger picture, right? On the other hand, it's real, right? The lack of vitamin D is like a real thing. And <laughs> people like, there's no sun and it's raining and depression reigns, you know? And, um, but as soon as the sun starts to shine and the cherry blossoms bloom, right? If you go to UW in, in Red Square or uh, the quad, people just show up, come out of the woodworks, right? They're juggling their balls, throwing frisbee, right? sunbathing in their bathing suits and there's just a bustle of life and people are just coming out because it's like sunshine right and it's like new hope and um we need to know that that oftentimes in the winter season perhaps some hope is lost Uh, we become more cut off and isolated um, because the weather's bad or we just stuck in our homes, um, or just that the mental feeling or sense of being more isolated. Um, and we give way, a lot of us suffer uh, from more intense depression or despair. But the good news is that God is up to something bigger, and God is up to uh, something new and wants wants to breathe good news to us, wants to to take us by the hand and say, you're beautiful, I'm thinking about you, I'm healing you, I'm doing something new. Uh, God is up to something bigger. And then finally, God 
as a community, as a church, I believe God is restoring our kingdom identity, right? Just think about it as an individual. Sometimes we get so caught up in work and busyness and raising a family or school, whatever like just fills your life, right? And you, you don't have, it seems like you need 30 hours a day, 30 hours a day. And um, we lose track of, oh, I am, right? I'm, I don't know how to put it. It's like a, one of those, oh, a mutant, like X-Men. I'm, a, I'm made for the kingdom of heaven. I'm a hero, right? That God has bestowed amazing gifts and talents for the kingdom of heaven. And we lose our sense of awareness Right of God moving, right? We forget or we don't we don't quite recognize it as soon, and and we forget who we are in God's kingdom, right? Who we are in God's eyes, um, what what our gifts and talents or purposes are, and we lose those things. We lose our sense of I am I am beloved by God. I'm called by God, and I'm here uh, for a purpose. A purpose bigger. Right? And broader than just my everyday, what, what makes me busy. Right? And I think God wants to continue to breathe vision and purpose and new life into us as a community of faith, as followers of Jesus. This is who you are. This is who I made you to be for, for my kingdom. Right? You are healers, you are prophets. You are worship leaders. Right? You are um, hope builders. Right? You are ambassadors. You're peace bringers. You're uh, agents of reconciliation. You're justice bearers. Right? All of these things. And we forget sometimes when we get overwhelmed with everyday life, we forget um, the things that God has called us to be, right? And the, and the things that are in us, that we're passionate about, that we have conviction over. What are those things, right? For me, you know, when I, we first planted, or th- we're talking about planting Renew, maybe five or six years ago, it was kind of an idea, a dream, and of course, in my head, because I'm a like kind of a, a visionary thinker, and I'm also very hopeful, um, I had all of these ideas, right? Yes, this is what we're gonna have like missional communities, and we're gonna be like transforming the neighborhood, and we're gonna do this and this, and we're also gonna be a thousand members, and right, my podcast is gonna go out over satellite <laughs> to the ends of the earth, and people are gonna be like. Did you listen to the Davidson podcast? And we're gonna raise up disciples, and like disciples are gonna disciple disciples, and it's gonna be like discipleship and like leadership development. We're gonna send out people for missions, and we're gonna plant church. And within five years, we're gonna plant another church, and then we're gonna plant more and more churches. And um, <laughs> none of those things, I mean, they can still happen, right? But they didn't happen in five years. Right? Not like I imagined it. And in many ways, 
in my own soul, you can have kind of that sense of death, you know? Like, am I really made for this? Like, was I really called? Did God really say plant a church? Because I'm not sure now, you know? Did God really want this? Are we being faithful, right? And there's oftentimes, like, I think in my heart there is a valley, um, a valley of dead bones, of ideas and dreams. Maybe it's just because I'm an ENFP and I have an idea every second and I never follow through <laughs> with them. So there are, like, dead bones of ideas there, literally. But legitimate dead bones, like, of things I've given up on, of things that hope was deferred so long that I'm just like, oh, or things that I just was afraid to lead or step into conflict, and I just let it go. And so that idea just kind of lay fallow and died. Um, or that, that motor or the passion or the energy, that conviction to be like, oh, someone is not in the truth. I want to go and speak truth into that. So now I might just let that person go, you know, just let it go, by, let the moment pass. Because that, that, there's not that, mm, that spirit in there. Um, and I think, for me personally, this is me sharing, that God is breathing new life, right? And animating. And even saying, I'm going to do these things so that you will know that I, the Lord, have done it. Right? Not you, not, but I am doing it. And uh, this question, I don't know if you rewrote this because it, it hits a little harder. <laughs> Erica, when you printed it, but what are the things you need to relinquish to allow God to do new things in you, right? And for me, uh, this last year has been a realization of my own independence, right? Does not play well with others, right? I've spent so much time telling myself and other people, oh, I got it, I can do it, right? That I forget that I need people, right? That I forget that, oh, I need to do this with people. And I see that now. I see that as a core, as a church, more and more people are <laughs> rising up and saying, you know, David, let us do this. <laughs> and it's nice, it's, it's healthy, it's good. And, and to know that there's, there's God has grace, that even in the midst of my own independence, right, and my own, like, I want to do this, right, that God is gracious and works with me, and then he brings people into my life, the right people to continue to build, to do his work, right, and that my, it's redefining my kingdom identity, what does pastor mean? It doesn't mean having your podcast like all over the place. Right? It means partnering and empowering and enabling and collaborating in this, this thing, you know, this community of faith, loving our neighbors and um, bringing the kingdom into the world. And so that's awesome. That's, it's, I feel new life. I feel like I'm being recreated. And out of that, it's like, Oh, this is why you gave me this. So I can do this now. Everything is where I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to say or how I'm supposed to live out 
my gifts make a little more sense, right? Because of that new realization. And so God brings new life. Can the, the question it was, can these bones live again? And the answer is yes. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you uh, for the power of life, the power that is in your spirit. And I pray uh, that we as a community, as a people, can become more and more spirit-led, that we become saturated uh, with your love, with your spirit, with your word, with your truth, and that that would influence, that would change the way we live, and that would, um, we would begin to see the miracles um, of your hand and the power and the wonders of what you do. And I pray uh, for hope in the places where we feel despair. Um, I pray for a sense of new possibility as people lean into you and your spirit and believe again, believe that um, you can do good things in our lives. You can do good things through us. So I pray that you would uh, do something new, that you would be renewal, uh, that we would begin to live into our name um, because you are the God of life. You're the God of resurrection and help us to live into this knowledge uh, during Lent and especially um, into Easter. Um, Really sink this in. Um, into our minds, hearts, and souls. In your name, amen.